The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, this is Christopher Sabella, writer of Heartthrob, and you're listening to Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Lucky you. Sort of breaking break down like this. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to the landmark episode 251. No. no. Okay, it's just episode 251 no. of THN, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, April 13th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not putting the final touches on my Iron Throne before the new Game of Thrones season premiere, it's huge. I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog, worthpoint.com. It's also very sharp. Be careful when you sit Yeah, it's very dangerous in here right now. <laughs> and my name is Joe Patrick. That's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not manning the ramparts and ready to start the riot, if Jon Snow is really dead... I'm still reminiscing about my days as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. In this week's episode, you're going to hear our in-depth reviews of Black Road, number one. Wait, what? And Heartthrob. I switched gears. And you Heartthrob. told me Moon Knight, you I know, maniac. I switched gears. And Heartthrob, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's comics. Faster than a horde of White Walkers can overtake the ziggurat during the ludicrous speed round. Then, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where a delegation from the Temple of Black and White is waiting to talk about about their fee and about their picks for next week's comics. And finally, the Orca returns to tell you nerds how to make some money on those comics that other suckers are paying way too much for in a little segment we call Take the Money and Run. But before we start asking the hard questions, like why Shaq didn't show up in his steel outfit to wish Kobe <laughs> Bryant a happy retirement. On behalf of the citizens of Los Angeles, I would like to apologize. Let's set our DVRs to record more stark torture porn, and then we'll talk about this week's big news. How stark, not Tony Stark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just in case you got your wires crossed. <laughs> Breaking news, Matt, regarding Brian Fuller's upcoming Star Trek show for CBS. According to rumors reported by Devin Faraci at Birth Movies Death, it won't be set in the J.J. Abrams reboot universe. What won't? The new show! Oh, sorry. You said it. <laughs> well, that's. I just said the new Star Trek. I know, I know, I know. Come on. <laughs> the, sh- the new show will be set in the original classic continuity. Well, this season anyway. Well, right. We'll get to that. According to Farachi, the show will be set sometime after events of Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, so it would take place between the original series and The Next Generation. Like Matt said, at least that will be true for the first season. It sounds like the show is going to be a seasonal anthology, which means the first season will be set post-Undiscovered Country. But after that, the entire Star Trek universe is potentially open for exploration. So it's going to be like true Star Trek detective. Oh, man. (laughs) The second season will be way worse than the first. (laughs) Yeah. And I'll beat it out after three episodes. (laughs) That means a season set after the conclusion of Deep Space Nine and the next generation films is a strong possibility. Map on this is so exciting. This is really cool. It sort of goes against like the you know history of Star Trek where you follow the adventures of a crew for 
years and years and years. It is more of an anthology that takes place in different parts of the Star Trek universe. I mean, like, I think that's still exciting, but it's definitely different. They've never done anything like that. Short stories instead of like, could we get a whole season following a Klingon crew or something or... I mean, following. I guess like, we could. Yeah, like the Romulan Civil War or some crap. I mean, like that could be really, really cool, and it's a way to explore all these corners of the Star Trek U that we've never really seen outside of you know a bridge view or an away team. Yeah, or something. and you know they're they're saying that it will almost definitely not have anything to do with the Enterprise, which right. makes sense. That's fine. Save that for the movie. Yeah. The movie's doing its thing, but this particular season there was some discussion about how. I promised everybody that I would talk about the Kittimer Accords on this week's show on Twitter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> the Kittimer Accords are, is the, uh, the peace treaty between the Federation and the Klingons, which is what led to Next Generation, where Worf was a member of the Enterprise crew right. and all that good stuff. During this season, uh, the Kittimer Accords will definitely be a thing that is being discussed or... or happening being forged okay uh there's still like a very strong possibility that uh we might see like classic style angry evil klingons cool and i think that's awesome cool i think this is awesome news i think they're they realize that the people that are going to be excited about this like you can't make this nerdy enough oh no i mean like let, let's get into it man i'm super excited you, you know we talked about how we enjoy the movies the new movies uh, but they don't really feel like Star Trek. And I am totally fine letting them do their thing. Right. You know, just trust the fans to understand the difference between that type of story and coming back to the classic timeline and doing stories in that uh, in that space. And I'm all for it. I'm excited to kind of revisit that and kind of recapture the feeling of the Star Trek I grew up with. The only thing I don't want to change, I don't want Brian Fuller to go away. I want him on no, no, no. every season. Chain him to his uh, desk and feed him three times a day and just keep him working. Totally rad. That is illogical, Ensign. Odors cannot travel through the vacuum of space. Well, it's all movie news from here on out, so let's get into it. We yeah. just saw... That's all anyone talked about this week. We just rewatched the first trailer from Marvel's Doctor Strange. It finally dropped this week, featuring the man with the most profoundly English name I've ever heard, Benedict Cumberbatch, as the titular Doctor. Tilda going full Swinton as the Ancient One, and Hannibal's Mad Mickelson full-on incepting New York City. Joey, what do you think? I think it looks great. Pitch perfect. I think it, I think it is 100% in, in line with what I think of, what I want from Doctor Strange. Yes. Reality going all cuckoo crazy. Pitch perfect. Uh, <laughs> my favorite thing in the whole trailer, though all of the effects are super cool, is Tilda Swinton punching Benedict Cumberbatch so hard that his soul flies out. Well, it's his astral self. I know, but... <laughs> <laughs> It's not his soul, it's his astral soul. That's what his, that's what your she astral like self is. knocks him on the astral plane. That's his soul, it's his spirit, what do you it's think? soul, it's an astral projection, it's different. Oh, come on. I don't want to go into this. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean, I didn't know you were such a metaphysicist. I have magic and theory and practice by Aleister Crowley right behind you if you'd like to read it. <laughs> <laughs> Those middle fingers are a Periscope exclusive. It looks awesome. Totally rad. Mickelson looks awesome. She would tell Ejiofor looks scary as heck. Oh, man. We didn't get a whole lot of him in we the trailer. We did but we got him walking around looking like a badass with yeah. a sword or something. Something. Yeah, he's got like a sword on his back. Uh, you know, they're they're strapped. No Wong. No, no, no Wong yet. No Wong, but um, we know he's in there. There was a very brief glimpse of Rachel McAdams in the trailer. Yeah, okay. And she's playing like a nurse or a doctor. And here's the thing. Chill the hell out. 
everybody on the internet trying to figure this out. She's not the night nurse. The night nurse is on Daredevil. Who says she was the night nurse? A bunch of people are like, what, is she supposed to be the night nurse? I think she's the night nurse. Don't, isn't there already a nurse on Daredevil tonight? Yes, she is just a nurse. Settle down, okay? Now, she might be <laughs> or playing- a doctor. I, I don't mean, know. maybe she is the night nurse. No, I don't think- Because no. I don't think that Rosario Dawson is necessarily- Supposed to be the night nurse. I think she's supposed to be the night nurse. Because she doesn't have the same name. I know. It's a whole different... This but, is a whole different podcast. Okay, according to IMDb, they have not named Rachel McAdams' character yet. We both thought Clea. Yeah, and... I'll be shocked if she's not. Right, right. And so uh, they might instead try to kind of adapt the character from Doctor Strange, the Oath, who was the night nurse in that comic. Right. And then ended up hooking up with Doctor Strange. But um, yeah, because like the night nurse, her real name is Linda Carter, strangely. And there was like mention on some blogs that Rachel McAdams character's name was Linda or something. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. You Not know, important. it doesn't really matter. This looks amazing. Uh, so far, so good. It looks it, mind bendingly weird. The effects look incredible. I don't know. I mean, it's it's an origin story. We don't know too much about the plot other than that. Or Mads Mikkelsen is seemingly the main villain. Right. I really thought that, that they'd go Dormammu. Maybe they so will. I. Maybe they still will. But he's Baron Mordo, right? No, she would tell Edgy for is Baron Mordo. Oh, that's right. But yeah, so far, I think it looks really great. I have really been loving like the set photos that have been popping up all over the place from when they filmed in New York City. Right. Featuring like Benedict Cumberbatch dancing in the streets. Yeah. And going into Jim Hanley's universe, the comic book <laughs> shop where Dan Slot shops. Yeah. And taking photos with fans in full costume. Side note, a whole side note, Cumberbatch, your new Grinch. Yeah, yep. I mean, I, also, I don't really a, need another remake of the Grinch, but whatever. a great week. <laughs> all right, look, I said it earlier, you said it earlier, it was all movie stuff this week, so let's get into some rapid fire movie sh- I love it. Warner Brothers confirmed something that we all knew was probably happening. Ben Affleck will star and direct a solo Batman film. Matt, is there any chance that this is better than the crime against humanity that was Batman v Superman? Ben Affleck is a very talented director. Yeah. And he's a very talented actor as well. And we both liked him in the Batman suit. And we both liked the action scenes with Batman. Neither of us liked all the point blank shooting the, that, the murders that, that Batman did and firing you know guns off his car. But unfortunately, we're going to get more of that. Will it be well, well directed? <laughs> Or I, will I, it be, ben Affleck is a much better director than Zack that's Snyder. My, that's where I was going with this. Will this be better directed than Batman versus Superman? Yes, I absolutely think so. Will it feature murderous Batman? Unfortunately, yeah. Maybe. Maybe they'll dial it back. Nah, I doubt it. Sony announced the full title of their Spidey franchise reboot coming in 2017. Spider-Man Homecoming. And none other than Batman 1989 star Michael Keaton is in talks to play the villain Joe what do you think of the title? And first, if you were going to make Keaton a Spider-Man villain, who would it be? Oh, uh, if I were going to make Keaton into any Spider-Man villain? Any Spider-Man villain. I think he'd be a cool Mysterio. I think he'd be a great Mysterio because yeah. he's got the whole acting thing. Yeah. I think he'd be a good vulture. He's not as old as the vulture is in the comics, but he's aging. I hadn't thought of it. You know, like he's that. an older guy. He could yeah. play like cheated inventor but i don't bitter. know that the vulture is like a main character movie villain you know like i can see mysterio has got though. a lot more going on where he could screw with spider-man's head and you know sure i mean do a lot more with him i but mean i, I suspect I, I suspect that he's norman i can't imagine that they're not going to trot out norman osborne again uh yeah i mean i kind of hope not i kind of hope not too yeah or, or you know 
let him just let him be Norman Osborn for three movies. Yeah. Don't like immediately give me the Green Goblin. Yeah, build up to it or something. Let him be like a like a menacing, you know, almost father figure, you know, father to his best friend. Right. Let that just kind of linger in the background. And, and maybe let Spider-Man like just deal with some B-list Spidey villains that aren't all teaming up to beat the hell out of him and then befriend him later or some <laughs> crap, sure. you know? Uh, as for the title, I think I think it's a clever nod to the yeah. idea that Marvel is now helping yeah. make these movies. Sort of, kind of. And no, it's definitely like they've talked about it a lot this I week, know, how Marvel is definitely helping Sony with these movies. Good, which is good. And that, uh, <laughs> yeah, Black Scorpion says, big wheel. Big Wheel should be the film. Oh, not bad. Big <laughs> uh, Wheel. I can look, see that. It'll never happen, but I would be thrilled to see the Shocker as a villain in a Spider-Man be movie. cool as hell. So, yes, yeah, this nod to the Spider-Man kind of coming home to Marvel a little bit. And there was a lot of talk this week about how now the Marvel characters can go back and forth. Yeah. And that's kind of the trade-off. And so there's some discussion about uh, whether or not Robert Downey Jr. was going to pop up in the Spider-Man movie. Not as Iron Man necessarily, but as Tony Stark, given that whole relationship, especially with the Civil War oh, stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that could be cool. I think it's a, a clever name. Michael Keaton. I love Michael Keaton. He's great. Uh, I just I just don't want the Green Goblin right away. Yeah. If you're going to do it, don't do it right away. Natalie Portman is out. Good. And Tessa Thompson is in. Uh, oh, yeah. No, she was in Creed. She's great. Yes. The Creed star was cast in the upcoming Thor Ragnarok just this week. Thompson said that she'd be playing eh, kind of a superhero, leading the rumor mill, including renowned Hollywood shot callers Latino Review, to speculate that Thompson will be playing Brunhilde the Va- Valkyrie. Black Valkyrie. Yeah, why not? I mean, you know, whatever. Right? We already got a, a, like a black dude guarding the Rainbow Bridge. Boom. Right? Add in the fact that Thompson's casting includes multiple films and the rumor that Ragnarok co-star Kate Blanchett is playing the villainous Hela. I really queen like Queen of the Dead. I love that casting. And it looks like the Valkyrie is a pretty strong possibility. Now, Matt Bomb, you've never met a Valkyrie you didn't love. What are your thoughts? I can already hear people screaming about a black Valkyrie. I'm Those not, people can shut the f yeah, up. I, mean, I do not care. Get over it. We already got like a big, sexy black dude playing Heimdall, you know, yeah. in Eardris Elba. I, I don't have a problem with that at all. And she's a great actress. And she's also a, like, she's a big girl. She's not a tiny little waif, you know, woman. She'd probably look good riding a winging horse and swinging a sword around. This sounds kick-ass. And, you know, let's get into it. It's a, Ragnarok is the story of, like, the death of Asgard and everything. And that is ushered in by the Valkyries. So... It makes sense. It that all that, makes sense. It makes sense that the Valkyries would at least be in it. Right. And Hela, Queen of the Damned, is behind everything. I love it. I love it. And like the Thor movies have just gotten better. They've just gotten better. The first yeah. one was fun. The second one, pretty damn good. And the third one sounds like it's going to be great. The second one was a little too much on the like sci-fi fantasy. Like it's fantasy. I don't need you to make them flat out aliens. Well, I didn't, it's okay for it to be I more fantastical. I did not hate that the elves were like an advanced race and stuff like that. I think that's kind of cool. Well, but even the Asgardians, they got like... <laughs> staffs right. that shoot lasers and yeah you know whatever <laughs> like flying little pla- flying platforms and stuff it's like okay and i'm not gonna miss <laughs> natalie portman at all i just don't think natalie no, portman is a good actress. natalie portman was the worst part of the thor movie yeah she is not a good actress she's very pretty and i'm sure she's very nice i just i've never seen her in anything where i said to myself wow natalie portman nailed that <laughs> don't need her 
but yeah, Tessa Thompson, I think she's you know else very I don't cool. Cat Dennings. Take a hike. I mean, I'm fine with her as go, comic relief in the background. Go be a broke girl, all right? Well, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is exciting. Valkyrie is cool. I hope that happens. Yeah. Thumbs up for Hollywood. All right. Nice week, Hollywood. That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums, where my erotic Brunhilde fan fiction has devolved into stories of Norse women sitting on birthday cakes and shouting threats using oh. long-winded, flowery, vintage Marvel as guardian dialogue. It is beyond perversion and hard to read. Gross. Sorry, folks. Sorry, Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Every week, my favorite Valkyrie, Joe Patrick, flies in on his winged horse and posts the question of the week on the Two-Headed Nerd forums. You can go there by pressing the forum button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Joey, what are we asking the nerds this week? This week's question comes from our number one guy, Wooly Toots, who asks, quote... See, I would have said our number one tutor, Wooly Toots. But, you know. Tutor Toots. What's a video game tie-in comic series or one-shot that you really enjoyed? Anything from Halo to Sonic, Injustice to Assassin's Creed. Atari Force. Atari Force <laughs> is not based on a video game necessarily. Really, no. There have been way more than you may realize, however. Second part to the question, did you play the game the comic was tied to, or did you just pick up the book because it seemed like something you'd be attracted That's to? That's a good question. That's a good question. I mean, like, I reviewed some that I haven't played, I'm sure, but that, I don't know if I've ever picked well, one Well, yeah, up. I mean... I don't think I've ever picked one up. I'm like, hey, you know what? I want to see what's going on in this weird Silent Hill universe or some crap, you know? <laughs> yeah, until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, April 22nd. Which is birthday. To get us your answer, you can call our Ziggurat hotline 402-819-4894 and leave us a message, or... If you can pry your thumbs off of your thumbsticks, you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, keep it under two minutes. You'll get cut off. You know what happens. It's true. It's not a game. It's not a game. Though the question is about games. And we do have fun. If you need more time than that. Sometimes we have fun. Sometimes we have fun. (laughs) If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN web forums. And then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN answer of the week podcast. It's review time in the ziggurat where we read and discuss two of this week's new comics and rate them on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Matt, I see you couldn't come up with any Game of Thrones jokes here, so why don't we just get into your review? Deal. Sorry about that, folks. This week, I decided to review Black Road very suddenly without telling Joe Patrick. That's right. Because from now on, I am only reviewing comics with black in the title. Okay? There you go. Did Black Panther last week, Black Road this week. Next week... There's got to be at least one. <laughs> so, <laughs> Something from Black Mask. This is written. This is from Image Comics, written by Brian Wood with art by Gary Brown. It was 32 pages for $3.99, your standard image number one. This feels like Wood's spiritual successor to his 2008 Vertigo series, Northlanders, a series that I loved. Never read it. It was a series of short stories and one shots about violent clans of the Viking Age of Norway. Unlike that series, Black Road is going to follow one protagonist, Magnus the Black. The long title of the comic is Black Road, a Magnus the Black mystery, which instantly had me hooked 
Viking mystery. That's so cool. <laughs> Wood has already demonstrated his amazing talent at writing brutal historical fiction, but here he's writing a Viking mystery. Feel free to add Viking mystery to the long list of bizarre genres that only exist in comics. Magnus is depicted as a mountain of a man by Wood's the massive artist collaborator, Gary Brown. Brown's pencils are thick and spastic, creating a brutal and cold world for Magnus, a Viking living in the dangerous time of the Christian conversion of Norway. Along with colorist Dave McCaig, who Joe and I both love, the two cover this comic in rage, mud, and blood, making the Viking Age look like the latest historical time period that I don't want to fuck live in. <laughs> Brown fleshes out backgrounds and side characters with as much emotion as Magnus and the Cardinal he's escorting up the Black Road. Magnus, unlike other detective protagonists, keeps his motives quiet and his mouth shut for the most part. Wood gives us Magnus's inner dialogue, but even that doesn't reveal much. We know he doesn't trust the Christians, and he had a wife that passed away, but that's really about it. Here, Magnus is escorting a cardinal up the Black Road to northern Norway, an area the Christians are just beginning to penetrate. The Black Road is well known for its dangers, and it's littered by bodies slain by Viking raiders. Wood and Brown are wonderful here, setting up a mysterious detective whose intelligence is only matched by his rage in ancient Norway, where Christians are just as violent as the pagans. This looks like another great start to another great historical fiction story from Brian Wood. I cannot wait to read more Magnus the Black Mysteries. I'm giving this a buy it. I didn't read it, Matt. I'm sorry. I should have told you. <laughs> I switched gears suddenly because it was so good. I just had uh, to. I'll tell you this much. I loved Moon Knight number one. All right. <laughs> so. well, we'll get there later. Joe, let's get into your review. Mm -mm -mm. My review for this week is Heartthrob number one from Oni Press, written by Christopher Sabella with art by Robert Wilson IV. Colors are by Nick Filardi. It's 32 pages for $3.99. I'll only touch back on the solicit to say that it's about a woman who's recovering from a heart transplant that's kind of readjusting to life and finding that it is uh, not any better now that she's doing well. <laughs> and In fact, that's pretty weird. Yeah, right. I'm really enjoying Welcome Back, which is another one of Sabella's creator-owned titles, sadly coming to an end. The man writes good comics with compelling hooks, so I've been looking forward to Hard Drive for a while now. The story opens during Callie's long road to recovery following her heart transplant and how her new lease on life is really anything but. She's back in the same dead-end job with the same shit-cheating boyfriend, existing but not really living. After the insurance company that she works for snakes its way out of paying for her medical bills, things go off the rails for Callie, and she meets Mercer, the scoundrel that sends her spiraling in a felonious new direction. I love the word felonious. I just think it's fun to say. Like felonious Monk. Felonious Monk. <laughs> That's not his name. It was Thul. I know, I know. Sabella's script fleshes out Callie's character throughout the entire issue as we learn about her past and lifelong struggle with illness, about how she lost herself in a string of romances that all eventually ended badly, and how when she finally rebelled after a lifetime of playing it safe, she still woke up in the same awful life. Now, after her transplant, Callie is starting to behave and experience things in ways that she never has before. Her tolerance for alcohol has gone through the roof. She suddenly knows how to pick locks, and she swears like a sailor. I loved the little details that Sabella threw in, like how Callie has suddenly developed a taste for anchovies and chunky peanut butter, and she knows way more about boxing than she ever used to. 
The issue is brilliantly paced as Sabella moves from scene to scene in and out of flashback. The story isn't told in a strictly linear way, but I never got confused or lost track of where I was in the progression of events. When Callie is reminiscing about her past struggles or dealing with the mundanity of her workplace, those pages employ a rigid eight panel grid structure that feels almost claustrophobic. When Callie is winding down or cutting loose, it's like a release valve is being opened as the panels get larger and become fewer on the page. The excellent pacing is thanks in no small part to the art team of Robert Wilson IV and Nick Filardi. Filardi's colors enhance every scene and reinforce the setting and time period, whether it's the stark brightness of Callie's workplace, the dark neon glow of the bar where she meets Mercer, or the muted palette of the flashback scenes. Filardi's work is a beautiful compliment to Wilson, who uses a thick brushstroke and fields of black. His inking style reminds me a little bit of Charles Burns in that way, but there's a lightness to his drawing that's more representational and less photorealistic. So it doesn't like it doesn't look like Charles Burns art in that hyper detailed sense. Yeah. But the way that he uses thick lines and, and huge like fields of black. He's awesome. Yeah. This is a beautiful looking comic. The main hook of the story reveals itself before too long and you can see it coming from a mile away. But Sabella steers it away from the obvious and I'm eager to see where Callie and Mercer go from here. I really loved this, and I'm excited for more. I'm giving Heartthrob number one a buy it. I am too, and I'm giving it a buy it for all the reasons that you said. I went into this, after reading the solicit, I was like, oh, that sounds clever enough, but I don't know if this is going to grab me. Totally did. Right away. Really well written. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Giving it yeah. a huge buy. so long we're gonna have to evacuate settle down joe we're not giving up the cigarette today get to the exo pug of war armor he's gonna buy us some time while i warm up the necromagnetic pulse this better work buddy or we're gonna be looking a few shades paler real quick here will i keep the particle accelerator feeding the rail guns what do you say we review 10 more of this week's comics during the ludicrous speed round really this is the time to do it for speed <laughs> go who the ninth doctor number one from titan christopher eccleston's doctor is the one that almost convinced me i didn't need to watch the show until <laughs> i met david Tennant. yeah regardless titan could care less and has given the ninth doctor his own series this is part one of doctor mania which seems a doctor captain jack harkness and rose jumping to a world with an imposter doctor hosting his own tv show oh man meta. even worse this doctor sings even though i didn't care much for eccleston as the doctor Writer Kavan Scott captures all the voices of the characters perfectly and, along with the fantastic art of Adriana Mello, made this comic a perfect romp through time and space in the spirit of the show and Titan's other great Doctor Who comics. I'm giving it a buy it. People, there are a lot of people out there that really love Christopher Eccleston's Doctor. Yeah. I just don't get it. I didn't get it either, but this was a good story and I'm going to read more of it. Jackpot number one from Aftershock. Ray Fox and Marco Fela bring us an Ocean's Eleven-style tale about a group of thieves and con artists on a mission to rob the gods themselves. At least that's what the solicit promised. Instead, this issue delivers a story that, despite plenty of action, moves pretty slow and does very little to set up the series' main plot. And it does it with all the excitement but none of the charm of the best charismatic con job caper movies. You really gotta have that, too. 
Like, imagine if everybody in Ocean's Eleven was a bunch of dicks. Right. <laughs> when the going gets tough, instead of seeing the clever way the group gets out of a jam, they just shoot their way out. I like the premise, and Fela's art is decent, but this just didn't do enough to hook me. But I'm at least interested enough to check out one more issue. So, jackpot number one gets a skim it. Okay. House of Penance, number one from Dark Horse. Joe and I have been huge fans of writer Peter Tomasi for years now, but I can't recall him ever writing horror. Here, he's writing a story loosely based on the Winchester house, which was converted into a maze of stairways that go nowhere and doors to secret passages. It's a real thing. It exists. In this story, we get to look into the mind of Sarah Winchester, the widow of Sam Winchester, who made the gun that won the West. As she employs a team of men looking for redemption. And his brother, Dean Winchester. <laughs> no. And their impala as they no, go cross country. No. That's a different Winchester. <laughs> She employs a team of men looking for redemption from their violent pasts. Super creepy art here by Ian Bertram, whose style reminds me of Edward Gorey meets Frank Quietly. Fans of The Six Gun will not be let down here. This is historical, creepy fiction. Go and buy House of Penance. Goalie Vance, number one from Boom! Incoming Batgirl writer Hope Larson teams with artist Brittany Williams for the early 60s adventures of Goldie Vance a teenage hotel detective of sorts at the Cross Palms Resort in Florida. Goldie inserts herself into hotel business and proves more capable than the actual detective running the investigation. Goldie is smart and fearless and extremely capable, proving herself more than equal to the men in positions of authority. Sounds like she's stealing the average Joe's job to me. Hey, I got... Hey, the sisters are doing it for themselves. <laughs> I got a real leave it to chance vibe from this, but subtract the supernatural and add a classic detective theme. Williams' art is very nice, and Larson's script is clever and engaging. I thought this was a lot of fun, and it's great for all ages. It's got very low stakes. It's just plain fun, and I hope it's a hit. Gold Advance number one gets a buy it. Sounds cute. Arathun number one from Stranger. This is a fantasy tale that feels equal parts D&D and Lord of the Rings, starring Buxton Stonebeard, best name ever, a banished dwarf with a cursed axe who is forced to save the town that banished him, along with two unlikely allies. Really nice art and color here by Sheldon Mitchell, but man, did this story get bogged down in characters, cities, castles, plots about cities and castles and more characters. This wasn't bad at all. There was just a lot to take in. Arathun was a really nice looking fantasy comic with maybe a little too much going on in the first issue, but I'm giving it a skim it. Star Wars special C-3PO number one from Marvel. If you had told me that a one-shot gimmick story about a throwaway plot point from The Force Awakens, one that features 99% unliving droids, that it would be the most emotional, uplifting book I read all week, I would have said you were crazy nuts. But this one shot from Starman creators James Robinson and Tony Harris delivers on that promise and a lot more. This story made me irrationally upset at the idea that 3PO's memory would just get wiped and overwritten over and over like a thumb drive. That simple thought adds an enormous amount of depth to a character that can easily be written off as annoying comic relief. This was wonderful and beautiful and essential reading. I'm giving the C-3PO special a huge buy it. Moon Knight, number one from Marvel. Jeff Lemire is on a whirlwind tour, riding just about every superhero you can think of. And now he's on Marvel's crazy knockoff Batman, Moon Knight. If you didn't pick up the last Moon Knight series, there's something wrong with you. You need to look yourself in the mirror and figure out what it is. It was easily the best version of Mark Spector I've read, and Lemire has quite the task ahead of him here, filling those shoes. Here, Mark is trapped in a mental institution where it seems he's finally gone bananas. Or has he? Greg Smallwood is on our duties, and holy sh does this comic look good? 
We both loved Smallwood's Dream Thief at Dark Horse. He did a short stint on Brian Wood's Moon Knight as well, but this looks even better. This was not exactly an action-packed first issue of Moon Knight, but Lemire is setting up a compelling mystery, and Smallwood's art is worth the price of admission alone. Buy it! It's dynamite! Hot damn! Number one from IDW! DeForv creators Ryan Ferrier and Valentine Ramon turned their considerable talents to the supernatural in this tale about a schlubby drug addict named Ted trying to make the best of his afterlife in hell when his well-meaning demonic sponsor takes Ted on a routine possession to lift his spirits he catches the unwelcome attention of authorities both above and below this was a really clever story from Ferrier who told me to hug my dog this weekend hey uh, oh, yeah, because, it was like National Pet Day. No, it's right. because I read Kennel Block Blues number oh. three, and I wanted to sob <laughs> d- d- for the rest of the day. And wonderful art by Ramon that's packed with outrageous detail in every panel. I loved Dave, and their follow-up is off to a hilarious start. Hot damn! Buy it! Actionverse number one from Action Lab. I'm not sure where the story started, but apparently there was a zero issue. Not that you need to read it to follow this. Everything is reset in the first couple of pages, and the idea behind a main character destroying Earths to power an engine that lets him try and find his own Earth is cool enough. But bad dialogue, heavy narration, and inconsistent art quickly took me out of the story. Actionverse isn't a failure of a superhero story, but it can't decide how serious it wants to be. And the art didn't help. I'm giving this a skimmit. A low skimmit. A skimmit minus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Negative space, number four from Dark Horse. Fun fact, this series was lettered by Hot Damn and Dave writer Ryan Ferrier. He's a double threat. Also writer of Kennelbach Blues. Who knew? I have really enjoyed this four-issue story from Ryan Lindsay and Owen Gianni. It's kind of a cabin in the woods style tale, but with clinical depression. Uh, I'm not going to explain that any further, and I'm not going to spoil Cabin in the Woods, so just deal with it. Speaking of weird genres. (laughs) This chapter of the story ends with the hint that there may be more to come, and I hope that's true. Owen Janney's art is really amazing, and Lindsay's script is tense and bleak and kind of sort of hopeful in its own way. (laughs) I loved this series, and my biggest complaint is that the delays made it hard to remember what happened from issue to issue, but that's not going to be a problem when you pick up the trade, and I highly recommend that you do. I'm giving Negative Space a huge buy it. Smash! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Smash is the onomatopoeia of the week, and also the sound of a dimensional gateway dissipating as seen in Actionverse. That was great. Number one. I felt like I was right there. Yeah. Now, while we clean up these White Walker corpses, head to twoheadednerd.com, where Comics Therapy podcast host and our trusty love slave Aaron Myers has posted some much better thought out reviews of this week's comics. This week, in the Sanctum Sanctorum, we're joined by an emissary of the Temple of Black and White, a man with no name, a faceless man, who's joined us to teach us the ways of assassination and how to become no one. If only Joe would get over his personal revenge schemes against Batman v Superman director Zack Snyder. Vengeance will be mine! Joe... We are never going to become faceless assassins in the service of the many-faced god if you keep obsessing over Warner Bros. attempts to modernize Superman by making him a frowning killing machine. Look, we're going to take a short break. We're going to talk about our comic picks for next week, okay? I'm pretty sure that if this was uh, a court case, that this would count as evidence of us plotting the assassination of Zack (laughs) Snyder, which I assure you is not the case. No, no. (laughs) My pick for next week is Department H, number one from Dark Horse Comics. It's written and drawn by Matt Kent. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. 
From New York Times bestselling Mind Migment creator Matt Kent comes an exciting new undersea sci-fi mystery. Mia is a special investigator hired to uncover possible sabotage taking place at a deep sea research station. What she finds is a mind-blowing crime scene filled with suspects and terrible secrets. Strange deep sea creatures and an impending flood. Yeah, like deep sea research station and sabotage. That implies that someone in there is like... I'm willing to kill myself. <laughs> There's only so many people on that place. Yeah. So two things about this. One, I slept on mind management. I failed. Dude, I idiot. I didn't keep up. You're a moron. I've got all the hardcovers. I'm gonna read it. Oh, I've, I'm in. The, I'm I'm halfway through the second volume. Oh, mind blowing stuff. I'm not gonna make that same mistake with his next book. I'm I want to see mind management done like the same way Lost was done. Long drawn out series with twists and turns and MacGuffins kind of peters out at the end no not that way you know, <laughs> like, and it's all purgatory no then it wasn't that whatever doing this again second point i am deathly afraid of the ocean the deep sea like the inky blackness of nothingness it's big and dark and spooky and full of bulgy eyed horrors just waiting to kill us like space i can handle because at least if you're alone in the in the vast nothingness of space you can see what's happening yeah that sounds way better <laughs> but if you are out there in the middle of the inky depths you can't see and who knows what kind of beasts are down there yeah tickling your toes in space no one can hear you scream and underwater they can kind of hear you scream but it sounds funny Oh man, yeah, it's it's. I find it way scarier. Yeah, and so I'm excited for this book. I think it sounds awesome. I just love Matt Kent, and I loved Mind Migment, and I want more of whatever he wants to do. There you go, Matt. What's your pick? My pick is Joyride, number one from Boom by Jackson Lansing, with art by Marcus Ho. Thirty-two pages, three ninety-nine. Here's your solicit. In the future, Earth sucks. The stars have been blocked out for so long that people have forgotten there was anything else besides a dumb world government alliance I mean, is watching the near over future? them. <laughs> <laughs> Training children to join the militarized allied youth and eliminate all resistance with a giant ray gun. Uma Alkalite is a girl who shoots first and leaps before she looks. And when she gets a strange message from outside the barricades of Safe Sky, she jacks a spaceship and punches through the stratosphere with an unlikely crew of teens who are totally not ready for what they're about to find. Her last name is Acolyte. That's real subtle. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> this sounds cool. I love Marcus Toe. Oh, I almost picked it. It looks great. It's so good. I don't know a lot about Jackson Lansing. I know he worked uh, on like. This is the creative team of uh, Alyssa Milano's Hacktivist. Hey, all right. <laughs> and I know he also worked on like the Maze Runner Scorch Trials original OGN, which the Maze Runner movies, kind of fun. I've seen them both. I really I liked mean, them. Little fingers in it, yeah. so it can't be all bad, right? I'm going to check this out. The THN Trade of the Week is Contest of Champions, Volume 1, trade paperback from Marvel Comics, written and drawn by Various with a cover by TBD. I love those guys. Yeah, TBD never does bad work. It's 160 pages for $19.99. Uh, eh, you know, there are worse <laughs> deals out there. Yeah, there's much worse deals. <laughs> Here's your solicit. You've played the game. Now watch the action play out in scores of superhero showdowns. Welcome to the Battle Realm, a broken section of space-time where cosmic beings gamble for ultimate power using unwilling pawns drawn from across the multiverse. Your favorites must fight for their lives and a chance to return to their respective Earths. Iron Man, Venom, Gamora, Ares, plus sensational breakout stars in waiting like Outlaw, White Fox, and the Guillotine. I really like the Guillotine. She's French. <laughs> she is French. She and is. don't miss the oui, oui. <laughs> and don't miss the incredible battle between 
the man who trained Daredevil and the woman who loved Matt Murdock. Stick versus bullseye question mark exclamation point there is a scene in this book with stick that is so tough <laughs> you will not believe it and it has nothing to do with the bullseye fight either but what rolls in this celestial game are the collector and the maestro playing and then there's the biggest question of all who will survive the contest of champions <laughs> champions <laughs> this collects one through six of the main series and the story from all new all different point one number one I picked this just because Matt won't shut up about it's it. It's so damn fun. It's just fun. It's it, This is what they should have done with Battleworld, was just like get a bunch of heroes from all over the different storylines and times and dimensional spaces and just make them fight, man. And it is it so much fun. It sounds a lot like that DC, um, it, was a, it was a countdown. Arena. Yeah, countdown arena. And it was awful. No, but arena sucked. <laughs> this is that. It's much more tongue-in-cheek, much more fun, and the art is so it's Al Ewing, right? I like Al. Al Ewing writes the hell out of this. Fun time. Okay, Joe. Let's get back to our faceless friend. We're going to work on letting go of your ego specifically so we can get to the job of killing in the name of our new god. In the meantime, why don't you head over to the THN forums and tell us what we should be reading next week. Fresh off the train from the AVN Awards in scenic downtown Las Vegas, Da Orca has returned to the snowy wastes of northern Maine to chase the brown bears out of his cabin, rest his tired old bones in front of his wood-burning stove and wood-burning PC, where he combs the internet in search of comics you should be selling. I didn't even know they still made those. Yeah, I mean, it's an older model. Yeah, of course. It's time for the Orca to tell you how to take the money and run. Hello, boys. Orca's back with a new batch of funny books. You ought to be putting up onto eBay right now in order to get the maximum amount of cash in the super fickle speculator comic market. I know you can't see me, but I was doing the air quotes when I say speculator. Around here, in case you ain't heard, speculator means sucker. Suckers buy these comics because they think the value is just going to keep going higher. But as we covered last month, they rarely do. Instead, the suckers buy them, then the pushers move on to talking up something else, and suckers buy that too. What we do is simply watch what's selling, then go to our long boxes and sell what gets hot. We get top dollar, we can buy more comics. For this installment, I came up with a little theme. I'm sure most of you listen to the Answer of the Week podcast my deviant bosses produce. If not, what's the matter with you? It's full of great personalities and information. It's a lot of fun. Anyway, I rarely miss an episode and call in with my two cents almost every week. But this last week, I missed it. I was in Vegas, attending the AVNs, the Oscars for porn. It's a lot of fun. You get to meet all your favorite stars, some of whom even take Visa or PayPal. <laughs> they have different categories, much like the real Oscars. Best actor, best actress, etc. But a little, little different too. All the boring stuff, like sound editing or the technical shit, gets replaced with awards for favorite butt scene or best boobies. Even clever title of the year, which is always fun. Last year, it was Cirque de Holay. This year, it was That Rapper Destroyed My Crapper, a spoof of Straight Outta Compton. Cute. 
But I was rooting for Mad Max Furry Road. Great flick. Pacing is so important, yet often forgotten. Anyway, I'm going to use those real categories toward my top four books that you should sell this month, in one case, next October. First up, the award for best transsexual scene goes to Wolverine number 66. Wolverine's a chick now, so it's appropriate, right? This comic is the first part of Old Man Logan, a plotline that was shamelessly regurgitated during Secret Wars. Silly Internet thinks that Wolverine 3 is going to be based on this series from 2008. Maybe it is, but Wolverine is Sony and Hawkeye, his wingman in the comic, is Disney. So even if it's loosely based on the comic, it ain't this story. Can't be. Anyway, just sold on eBay for $50. Take the money and run. The award for best interracial movie goes to Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man number 64. The first appearance of Cloak and Dagger. Might be a series, a cartoon, who gives a The only fun thing about these two is all the creative glory hole ideas you can come up with for Cloak's, well, Cloak. Sold on eBay for $99. Take the money and run. Best Pro-Am Amateur Series went to my friends at Bang Bus this year. But for our little awards, let's sell Hench Girl number one. The new fad is pumping up these short printed amateur books that already have a movie deal. As our grandmaster Aaron Myers observed on the Google Plus early in the week, Mostly smaller comic book companies like Scout have first look deals for all their books. We're so amount to diddly sh**. You got some asshole retailer flooding social media and whatnot telling you it's going to be huge, huge. Except he's selling them like hotcakes. If it was really going to be huge, wouldn't he keep them? Steady buys 2,000 of the 3,000 that they make. So he gets them cheap. Then he runs a worse campaign than Marco Rubio to make a quick buck. This is selling for $40 now. If you did buy it, sell it fast. The award for best double penetration goes to The Walking Dead 100. Because thanks to that dick move in the finale, this comic will have two peaks. The first one gone and come to already. Get it? Sticking with the theme here. Now we got a second chance to penetrate the market next October. When we find out what the hell happened. Spoiler alert, if you DVR the season finale and you ain't watched it yet, there's nothing to spoil. Anyway, if you didn't sell then get ready. You've got time. Then set up the listing to end like 30 minutes into the West Coast airing of the premiere next fall. That's f***ing um, surgical-like. I sold mine this way the first time around and got $49 for it. That was a first print. The second print with Negan on the cover sold for $102.51 the night of the finale. So in six months, take the money and run. Finally, best marketing campaign. Yeah, that's really a category at the porn Oscars. Goes to fellow eBayer Dingleberry96. That's his real handle, Dingleberry96. Take a minute and go to eBay and type this into the search field. 25 Two two nine nine seven eight four six six six. And you'll see why he's a winner in my book. Well done, sir. Well done. 
Until next month, kiss kiss nerds. Sort of break it break it down like this. And that's it for the return of Game of Thrones celebration episode of THN. If you dig podcasts and would rather watch a TV show than read a book without pictures, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, or any place quality podcasts can be found. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. You can also just go to TwoHeadedNerd.com. Listen to the show there. There's all kinds of fun news, reviews, the ludicrous speed round reviews by Aaron Myers. Brian Mount had an interview with Jim Zub. He's doing one with Bengal this week. That's so cool. Bengal? Yeah. Bengal. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you to our latest donor, John Hutchinson. It's listeners like you that keep us uh, in good standing at Littlefinger's Clubhouse. Appreciate that. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. Littlefinger's Clubhouse is a hilarious, if that was actually the name of the business. <laughs> Welcome to Littlefinger's Clubhouse! <laughs> if you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at 2 nerd.com And to become a sustaining member, simply click the Make This Donation Monthly box when you donate. Remember, as little as a dollar a month really does help. It's true. We mean it. If you're interested in sponsoring THN... Shoot us an email with the subject line, Sponsorship. If you want to yell at us personally, you can head over to TwoEditNerd.com. You can find the links to all of our contact info and social media crap, like Periscope, Twitter, YouTube, where we're going to be putting up more reviews of comic book movies as they come out. Snapchat, Facebook, Vine. We're not on Snapchat and Vine. That stuff's for perverts, man. Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week. Grinder And <laughs> Ziggurat Hotline, 402 819-4894. Hello! I'll tell you, we don't swipe left. We swipe right only. I only <laughs> swipe right. All right, all right, all right. Yeah. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Before we go, a weekly shout-out goes to Omaha World Herald, intrepid music reporter, and faithful THN love slave, and all-around super buddy, Kevin Coffey who celebrated a birthday this past Thursday. Word to you, Kevin. Now get back to your sex kennel and crank out another article about what head Cyclops is. Because, man, that brings in tons of sight traffic. <laughs> Those are what, though he loves Cyclops. His articles are all about how much Cyclops got the raw deal. That's what I'm saying, yeah. And the coffees found out the gender of their new baby. It's They're having another boy. Oh, I thought it was going to be a puppy. Um, no, it turns out she's going to okay. have a boy. Because it, it can be a boy, a girl, sometimes a puppy. You don't know. It depends on, what, on what you eat. Yeah, as far as from what I understand, anyway. <laughs> We're not scientists. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer might just inherit the Phoenix Force and murder you for reasons of plot development. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Ow, my plot development! <laughs> <laughs>